TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as always, is my Steam co-host Matthew Rushing. Matthew, this crisp autumn day, I thought there might be nothing better than to get together for a game of low gravity football. Uh, it sounds great to me. You know, I'm still riding that high of uh, Texas A&M beating Alabama this year, so uh, <laughs> I'm ready to throw the pigskin around. <laughs> Well, and throw it around you will in low gravity. You know, you can you can throw from one end zone to the other, no problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the best place to play football right there. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say the ball will be in the air long enough for the defense to reposition itself if it's out it's of position. It's true. It's so. true. There are a lot more interceptions here on this uh you know, cargo so. ship. <laughs> I think so. I think so. So today we are going to talk about a cargo ship as we continue our 20th anniversary rewatch of Enterprise. The episode is Fortunate Son, and here's a quick recap. When a Warp 2 freighter named Fortunate sends a distress call, the Enterprise is sent to help. But when they arrive, they find that the crew doesn't want help, and they are holding a Nausicaan prisoner. A tug-of-war between Archer and the freighter's acting captain sheds a light on the rift between Earth's past and future in space as Starfleet and Boomer culture collide. So, Matthew, I think that first point right there is what we should talk about, Boomer culture. This episode was originally called Untitled Boomer Story, and it is all about boomers. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think, when you have Travis who he is uh, as a character. I think it's to be expected that we would get to a story like this pretty early in Enterprise's run. And I also think that it is very smart that they do so as well, because in many ways, you know, the boomers are our first link to deep space. And so getting to know that culture is going to be really important. And, And what this does, I think, is kind of help us have a sense of of world building for the 22nd century and what life is like for these people and give us a really good idea of what life was like when we were going in the Star Trek universe much slower. We've gotten a little bit out with Travis and, and what he's told us, but I think that this is a really smart episode in the sense that it does take the time to kind of dive into what life is like for them and giving us an, an opportunity to kind of see what these people have been dealing with on the final frontier. I mean, this is this is almost as close that you'll get before, I guess, season three uh, to a Western. When we talk about wagon train in space, you know, that that's what uh, mm-hmm. Gene Roddenberry thought of when he thought of creating Star Trek. This is really what I, I think we're talking about, because these people are basically on the wagons going to the final frontier. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad that we did get to see what life was like for humans in space at this point in time, because when we think of Enterprise as the prequel series and in Broken Bow, they make the big deal about launching the NX-01. You've got the speech from Zephram Cochran and you get this feeling like, oh, yeah, humans, you know, they've been on Earth. The Vulcans landed. 
They've spent a hundred years building this ship and finally they can go. They can get out there. And you assume, yeah, there's been people in the solar system maybe, but what you don't realize at the very beginning of the series is that there are a lot of humans who have been living in space for a long time and they're on these ships. And by Star Trek standards, they're slow. In my little recap, I said warp two, actually the fortunate, I think tops out at 1.8. So it's almost 1.2. You know, it's kind of like when they sell you a computer and they say it's got a two terabyte <laughs> hard drive in it, but it's actually, you know, like 1.6 that you can get sort of like that with warp engines. But but you get to see that they've been living out there and it takes years to get from one destination to the other. And what I also found interesting about this story is that, and it's actually said in the story that the people on these ships tend to get a bit territorial about their routes. This has become their home in space. And for them, it's not like Earth is home and we work in space. It's space is home. This route is home. And then suddenly you've got humans on this Warp 5 ship zipping around, exploring as if they're the first people to get out here and, and learn about what is in deep space. Then you meet these boomers and they're like, you're the new kids on the block, not us. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, you know, as I was thinking about this episode, it really truly is the way in which, you know, people on the frontier would have would have felt. You would have moved from a, a big city uh, somewhere in the east and you would have moved out to the middle of nowhere, Kansas or whatnot. And that would have become home. This land that was that was rough and was full of danger, you know, that's basically what every single boomer ship is. They are tossed to and fro by uh, plasma storms and all sorts of things, you know, uh, and they have very little protection from what's out there that would come against them. And at the same time, like you said, there's no place that they would rather be because this is their life. This is what they've chosen. And like you said, the ships are their homes. Like, you know, I love when we get to see the kids running around playing hide and seek uh, or the guys throwing the ball in the cargo carrier. And you can kind of understand, too. I mean, like at the end where the captain and the captain are talking uh, and he tells Archer, you know, things just aren't going to be the same once we're going faster. Life is going to speed up again. Mm -hmm. and, and in some ways... I mean, there is this kind of really interesting discussion about the way in which technology can make our lives better, but it could also make us just busier because things go faster, you know? Yeah. And and so there's right. that trade-off. Like everybody says, oh, the word processor is going to give you, you know, more time back. Well, it just meant that I could type faster and I write things down faster so that I had more time to do other work, you know? So it's that, like it really well, saved me. And it also means that, people want you to write that thing down and send it to exactly. me in 30 minutes. Exactly. Right. That's my job because I'm a, I'm a writer and an editor. That's what I spend my day doing. The word processor, great example, a technology that in some ways makes your life easier, mm -hmm. but it just makes you busier. Right. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that these people do enjoy is the fact that they, in these long voyages, they are getting to live their life that is not just about, I mean, yeah, they're stuck on these ships, right? But they're 
they're probably getting a chance to read more, to hang out with their friends more, you know, because there is only so much to do as you're making your way slowly from one port to the next. It's it's mm-hmm. almost the same thing mm-hmm. of like, you know, being on a sailing ship back in the day as well. If the weather yeah. is good and everything, there, there's things to do, but there's also time like i i think of um master and commander uh you know when when the 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 ship has dinner you know and the captain and his group have dinner and mm-hmm. then the crew has dinner and like everybody's just enjoying life you know there's a few people on on deck make sure things are going well but otherwise like you get to live life and 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 it it it's always interesting too as you watch history progressing in the sense of like you can see immediately how in just a few years your mm-hmm. life is going to be extremely different than it is now just because of the flow of time and the flow of technology right. and progress. And so, that I mean, I guess we're getting pretty deep, but it just is really interesting to, yeah. to watch this episode yeah. play that out. Yeah. Well, they do make the comment in here that they don't want to go much faster because if they go much faster, mm-hmm. there won't be time to enjoy the trip, right? right? So that's actually said in the episode. It's a good contrast with the world of the past and the world of today. Even though this episode was written 20 years ago, I, I guess you always feel, and it's kind of scary to think of life keeps, the pace of life keeps getting faster and faster and faster because, you know, your analogy here of people on the frontier is great because for those people, life was so much slower than it is for at that time for people in the cities. And then if you look at the past, life was so much slower even for us than it is today. I know I certainly feel that way. And then also in the frontier, you know, fighting off the bandits. We have that right here with the Nausicans, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So yeah, this is a not a wagon train to the stars. This is a wagon train in the stars. Yeah, absolutely. Already. Well, while we're talking about boomers, let's talk about Travis himself a little bit. We're still in that early stage here of the series where they were making an attempt to develop the full crew. We're getting episodes that feature Hoshi. We're getting episodes that feature Travis here. And I thought this was a really good Travis story. And it made sense for why he's on the ship in the first place, the concept they had for the series and why they created the character of Travis. And this story is, as I said earlier, a nice bridge between humans living in space and then humans who are exploring space for the first time in this Warp 5 ship. So first of all, I wanted to ask you, what do you think about Travis's role in this story? But also, what do you think the series lost by abandoning his character and this background of space boomers so early on? You know, I'm I don't know if I can answer that question yet because it's been a while since I've like rewatched Enterprise to kind of see and remember what they do. But I I'm thinking of boomer ships can only go so fast and there's only so far they're going to be out. And the Enterprise is going to pass their radius of availability very quickly going at warp 5. And so in many ways I don't honestly know if it's really an oversight or if maybe they had actually put a lot of thought into this and the fact that this is not going to be something that we can if we're continuing outwards 
we're going to pass these people up very quickly. Yeah. And therefore, that will not be, you know, this is not something we can run into all the time and kind of deal with every other episode. I think the character development for Travis, you know, later on in the series is is more just of, of the possibility of them focusing on other characters as we've seen them kind of do in many shows where you just kind of find the characters which fans te- seem to gravitate more towards and you write more for them. But here specifically, I mean, I do think this is a great story for Travis and and I also appreciate both sides of the argument, you know, again, the captain and the first officer here on the fortunate thinking about the future and how things are going to change people they're going to be lost because they're going to want to go to starfleet they're going to want to go faster you know they're like ricky bobby i want to go fast i want to Mm -hmm. go fast you know and and so but there are going to be people who choose still the life of being on a cargo ship and who choose and 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 the difference between Mm -hmm. them and that doesn't make it a, a wrong choice for either of them and so i i just i love this story though for travis i I think it's really strong and i also love you know at the very end where he can't help himself but kind of insert himself into this because yeah the situation as uh the fortunate is making it is going to make it much more dangerous for every other boomer family out there because of the actions that they're taking you know and There are not enough Starfleet ships here to patrol and make sure that there is safety uh, yet. You know, there's only one NX ship. And so um, I I think I really like this story for Travis. And I think it's one of those places where it kind of takes the bar for him and raises it a little bit because you see him being more active. You see him being he is just an ensign, but. He obviously has a really good opinion here and and one that even Archer himself doesn't have because like he says, he honestly has more experience than space than anybody else here. So, I mean, he understands kind of the ramifications of what this means better than anyone. Yeah, my recollection of what Rick and Brandon said on the Blu-ray extras is that they themselves felt like Travis was a great idea as a character, the idea of having this space boomer. But pretty quickly they realized you can only go so far with that. And then, as you said, the Enterprise is going to move on beyond the routes that these freighters would be running. And that boomer culture doesn't matter so much anymore. But I think here it matters a lot. And this is a case where Archer may be the captain, But Travis is the more experienced member of the crew in this situation. And you see, just as we have seen T'Pol in these first season episodes, kind of guiding Archer, guiding the crew, here Travis is doing that because Travis has all this knowledge about freighters and the boomer lifestyle, the boomer culture how they interact with aliens they may encounter that no one else on the crew has. I mean, even T'Pol doesn't have this because T'Pol grew up in a culture that already had very advanced technology and spaceflight and and so forth. So it was never in that situation. So in this particular story, if Travis had not been there, this would have played out completely differently because he is that liaison between these two sides 
And I mentioned in the recap of the story that there is this rift between Earth's past and Earth's future. And the, the freighters are Earth's past mm-hmm. in space. And the NX-01 is the future. And Archer says, I believe more than once in this episode, that you're going right. to be seeing a lot more of these ships out here soon. Yeah. So having Travis here to be able to guide this interaction, I think, is really important. But I would agree, you know, I frame the question as what did Enterprise lose by abandoning his character and his background? And yeah, abandoning is probably a strong word. In terms of the boomer culture, Mm -hmm. I think they were right to let it go after a little while and then move forward with the story. I wish Travis's Mm -hmm. character had continued to play more of a role in the crew because he really does disappear into the background not too long after this. And we do have these great interesting stories early on. And I guess I also felt as a Niner, I know you'll understand what I mean here, coming Mm -hmm. off a show like Deep Space Nine, where they've got a cast of 20-something characters and even the most minor character is someone who you feel like you really get to know because they, they get so much to do. Coming to a more traditional crew size like we have here on Enterprise and then having characters disappear into the background, it, it made you feel like, what, why can't you just develop this small group of characters that you have and like keep yeah, this going? that part I absolutely agree with. So I feel that a little bit. And then when I rewatch Fortunate Son and I see Travis playing a central role in an important interaction among humans in space, I feel like... You know, there was a lot more they could do there. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. I mean, I do think you have rightly pointed out, and obviously Deep Space Nine shows us that you can do many different characters and have a ton of depth for them without sacrificing anything. And yeah, it is kind of interesting that, you know, like you said, it, Travis will be one who unfortunately gets less development as time goes on, even though I think this was a really good start for him. Yeah, it was a great start. Well, let's talk about another topic. This surprised me when the episode first aired, Nausicans show up. Because in a prequel series, humans are out there in space for the first time. When are they going to encounter familiar races? We we haven't gotten to it yet, but, you know, the Romulans mm-hmm. will come up in season one, but we don't, they don't name them, right? Because there's the whole background mm-hmm. from the original series that humans had not seen Romulans until the war, right? So I remember hearing, oh, Romulans are going to be on Enterprise next week. And I'm thinking, well, how are they going to handle that? But before we get to that, we have here Nausicans popping up. And the Nausicans, I thought, were interesting because it's a, a alien species that we didn't meet until the next generation. And I, I believe Tapestry is the first yeah, time, isn't so. it, where yeah. um, Picard gets stabbed through the heart. It's like the first time we see them. And then they turn up again on The Next Generation, and then we see them in, I think, like six episodes or so of Deep Space Nine, and I believe there's a holographic mm-hmm. Noskin on Voyager. So, so they they pop up a few times, but they're a race that is from right. new Star Trek at the time, you know, the modern Star Trek. And then here we're encountering them 
in the first season of Enterprise, early on in the season. And it's the first official, I'm going to call it, first contact between Earth and Nausicaa in terms of Starfleet or the United Earth Starfleet and Nausicaans. But clearly humans have met them before because the crew of the Fortunate has been dealing with them. So when you see an alien race like this suddenly pop up on Enterprise, does it seem odd? Does it seem too early? And does it make a difference if you look Mm -hmm. at it as a fan versus trying to look at the story as Mm -hmm. the real world and what might happen out there in space? I honestly didn't have a problem either way. Um, I I think there's so many Star Trek races and, you know, having them kind of pop up here made sense. You know, we'll get later on the Orions, which I think makes sense as well. Uh, And Mm -hmm. Enterprise has already visited, I mean, even in Broken Bow, we went to some seedy places, right? You know, and, and, and so the pirates of the galaxy, I think, mm-hmm. make a lot of sense to run into the Nausicans. And so I kind of in, enjoyed the fact that they were one of the races because, again, too, like, we have no idea. It's not been written anywhere as to when we ran into them. There's nothing in canon, you know, so we're not, if you wanted to complain about this, I think it would just be a fan complaining rather than really having a good legitimate reason to be upset yeah. because... This is, a, I think, a perfectly legitimate race to kind of bring in that would be harassing people in this area of space. And so, yeah, I, I, I actually really like this. Yeah, I, I agree that if you have a problem with it, and I mentioned that kind of surprised me originally in first run. If you have a problem with it, it's that fan perspective mm-hmm. where you feel like, right, why, why are they showing up so early? This is supposed to be a prequel. And I think that's a natural feeling to have. If you step back from it and you try to put yourself in universe, then yeah, mm-hmm. they could run into anybody. You mentioned the Orions. I thought the Orions were played really well in Enterprise, and I thought it made a lot mm-hmm. of sense for them to be in there. And But that also comes from this fan perspective, which I try to separate myself from my fan mind and my writer mind, my ability to actually look at what is the universe that is real for the people in this story mm-hmm. and yeah. how would that play out? And and that that line for me when it comes to races that pop up, because we're going to have mm-hmm. the Ferengi coming up soon as well, is if a race was in the original series as the Orions were, it felt more natural to me. And if the race originated mm-hmm. in TNG, DS9, Voyager, it felt more odd to me. And I think that's an irrational way to look at it. But I also think it's a natural reaction to have as a fan. So I do think, though, in this case, yeah, it makes perfect sense that the Nausicans would be harassing Well, and I, I like sure. the way you put that um, because I do think it. this kind of comes down more to fan expectation, than it does anything else. And I I think, you know, again, with this one, there is no reason to not use them because there's nothing in canon that tells us that 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 would be inappropriate, right? Uh, So 
I, I think this is one of those right. places where they were probably trying to think of, okay, what are some pirate-like races that we maybe already have that we can use instead of having to create something? And that's kind of a place where I, I am glad that they didn't just create a whole new race. You know, use something that we do already know. Maybe give us a little bit more on that. And, I mean... To me, it's one of those things where then in the end, it, it adds a little bit to when we see them in tapestry and they have much richer history in the sense that, yeah, the Nausicaan race, you know, I'm, I'm sure that maybe there's a couple in Starfleet one day, but, you know, uh, uh, they tend to be pirates, you know, and that tends to be their life. And so I, this worked pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, because in tapestry, when we see them, it's just like random alien mm-hmm. that looks like a monster right. that almost kills Picard, right? And this is a great chance for them to add texture to the universe and flesh out races. And I'm always happy to see a new alien race, but when you can use an existing race and you can build on their history, I prefer that over just creating a new race just so you can make a cool new alien for the show. Let's talk about another topic that comes up here. We've been talking bit by bit as we go through the episodes about the development of the Prime Directive And this isn't so much about the Prime Directive. Well, it really isn't about the Prime Directive at all because we're dealing with humans and humans here. But what it, the way that it relates to that in my mind is just overall code of behavior. And Archer talks to Travis Mm -hmm. in here about the fact that they have a Starfleet code of behavior because he asks Travis, what do you think will happen if the Nausicans come back? And he says, well, I guess, you know, Ryan will blow them out of the sky. And Archer says, I don't know about you, Travis, but that doesn't sit right with me. Human beings have a code of behavior that applies whether they're Starfleet officers or space boomers, and it isn't driven by revenge. And this isn't something that humans have to suddenly develop because they're out in space, but it does show, I think, the evolution of human thinking, of the mindset from where we are today to where Gene Roddenberry envisioned humans would be in the future. And we see that progress mm-hmm. being made. And then you've right. got someone who's a leader like Archer telling younger crew members that, hey, don't forget. It's not like Travis was thinking like, yeah, let's go kill the Nausicans. Mm-hmm. But I think that Travis, perhaps because of his connection to boomer culture and the fact that he grew up on a freighter and they, I'm sure, had some scary moments he is maybe susceptible to the idea that, Mm -hmm. yeah, you've got to defend yourself at all costs. And Archer's telling him, no, this isn't how we do it in Starfleet. Right. So what do you think about that and how it plays Mm -hmm. into the Starfleet that we come to know? I think it is really good because, you know, we've, we've talked about this before, I think with Deep Space Nine, but whereas Starfleet and the Federation respect other cultures, there is a kind of a code of behavior to which they would deem right and wrong. Like they have a moral code and that is the code to which guides them and as well as the Federation throughout all the things that they do. And so I love Archer's argument here because he's saying that in many ways for us as humans, like we can't just be relativistic out here. We have to have a moral code of behavior to which we follow in all situations Otherwise, what are we really, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that this is a really strong part of the episode. And it, it does really show that 
and I I do think that this is something again. It's very akin to the old West, where you know there might have been a lot more lawlessness until more people start to come to town, and then you get a sheriff, you know, and then we clean this place up and we reinstitute a code of civilized human behavior, and I, I think that's that's definitely a part of of this and in abandoning what we know to be right and wrong, what does that make us? Does that make us less than human if, if we decide to abandon our our moral codes and just do whatever we want? And I think the, the argument fits very nicely, obviously, with where Travis comes to when he is talking to the other ship and he's telling him, what you do here is going to have massive repercussions on the rest of the boomer culture. And how do you feel like this is going to actually help them? No, it's going to end up hurting them because this will create right. a cycle of violence that we might not be able to stop, really. Yeah, right. Yeah, I just like whenever we see these moments in Enterprise, especially in these early episodes, I like the fact that they're sprinkled in just because part of the point of the prequel series is to show how we get from where we are today to the Star Trek that we knew because we jumped into Star Trek in the 23rd century and the vast majority of Star Trek that we know is the 24th century. So they've still got a couple of hundred years to go to get there, whereas we're only, you know, hundred something years from where Archer is. So they're much closer to us and we're just seeing how we slowly climb that ladder that Roddenberry uh, place there and how, how we get there, which I think is good. And in terms of revenge or how we handle situations, what I also find interesting here is that, you know, Picard has made speeches like this, like Kirk has made speeches like this, but especially Picard has explained things like this before. But usually it's him explaining to outsiders, how mm-hmm. Starfleet operates, how the Federation operates. He doesn't need to explain it to his crew members right. because they already know. They've already bought in. They've been to Starfleet Academy. Whereas here, we have Archer having to explain it to one of his own crew members, one of his senior staff, in fact. There's also an interesting contrast with Voyager because we also hear Janeway explain this sometimes and it's more of like an internal crew debate. It's not so much a an explanation mm-hmm. as much as a reminder because there are those times where maybe they want to take a shortcut because of their situation. Maybe they want to betray their principles because it might overall help ease their situation but she says, no, we have to stick to who we are. But again, that's an internal crew thing. So here it's still, we're learning as the crew how we should behave. Yeah, I think uh, especially of the Equinox episodes, you know, when they're really tempted for that. Yeah. And of course, that's the whole discussion of uh, you know the caretaker array and is, is a part of that too. So but yeah, I mean, this is definitely a part uh, of Star yeah. Trek. And I think Seeing the beginning of the and, and very early um, having these moral questions come up, I think is really important because how we act and how we interact with those around us is, is really important. And I, I think what we do and and how we live obviously makes a difference. So 
I love that, you know, Archer is saying that we we can't come out here and betray ourselves and who we are. Exactly. All right. Well, I think we've run through all the key points of this episode. Do you have any final thoughts? I mean, I think what I like about this episode is, again, it's it's good at giving us more of the milieu of Enterprise to kind of understand what things are like out there and to give us a taste of that from a different side, from a different perspective. And so I really appreciate uh, the the episode for doing that. And I think it makes it uh, another good installment in the world building here of Star Trek Enterprise, which is, is exactly, you know, I think what you want in this series. I think you do want to have a good understanding uh, of what space and and the life is like for these people on the edge of the final frontier. I mean, you know, that that's where they are, even though for us as Star Trek fans, we've seen way beyond this. These people have not. And I think that makes this really, really fun. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I'm just glad to see the I'm glad we got this glimpse Mm -hmm. into the boomer culture. Yeah. Early on. And, you know, I didn't I wouldn't want the whole series to be about this. I don't think it would be particularly interesting if this were something that ran all the way through the series, or even if it were a big part of season one. But I think it's an important part of humans' transition into a spacefaring civilization. And it feels a bit like passing the torch. Yes, yes. From one generation of space explorers to the next. And as I said a moment ago, just climbing that ladder. And for that reason, I think it's a great story. So we got to do our ratings. So what would you give this one, Matthew? I think that I would give this uh, another three and a half out of five. I think this is a strong episode. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's, again, I don't think it's the best episode of, of season one. But I do think it, to me, it's another strong episode of the season. And I enjoyed rewatching it. And I, I think in the end, when you are watching these shows again, to be able to go back and enjoy the episode that you're rewatching, even though you know what happens, I think is is really important. And so I, you know, I I like this episode, and I, again, I like what it does for uh, Travis, and you know, I like what it does for everyone involved. Honestly, I think the fact that we get the opportunity to see Archer kind of struggling with command here, and and the decisions he has to make which are really difficult, the fact that he threatens to take away the materials that he had given um, the boomers, you know, like, oh, right. uh, yeah. and that's a very difficult decision to make. But I believe that he makes the right decision to watch that happen was really great as well. So one of the best thing I can say is that, again, on a rewatch, this is not an episode I feel like, oh, I just I'll skip it. You know, no, I I enjoy yeah, rewatching right. this episode, yeah. and I'm and I'm thankful and 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 glad when it comes around. That's what you want from you know, especially when you have a show that has 22 episodes uh, or 24 episodes a season. That's much more difficult to co- I think continually make good episodes in. So yeah, I don't really I can't really think of of many episodes this season where I'd like. But I would do I really want to rewatch that one? I mean, t- 
I guess Terra Nova might be the closest to that. But, you know. Oh, come on, Matthew. So. Those words are shell. <laughs> Can't believe you said that. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. It's It's not an episode that when you sit down and you're like, I really want to watch an episode of Star Trek. What should I pull off the shelf? It's not one of those episodes. You don't choose Fortunate Son as that one episode you're going to watch because you have a chance to watch an episode of Star Trek and maybe you don't get to watch as often as you like. It's not that episode. Mm -hmm. But it's really important for the world building and it's important for the story. And it's very enjoyable to watch as you go through your rewatch. So I'm going to give it six of those codes that Ryan wants that the Nausicans have. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, we would love to hear your thoughts on Fortunate Son. If you'd like to share those, there are many ways to do that. The best way is to join the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. If you're already a member, you know what to do. If you're not, type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook. It should come right up. If not, type the whole name, the Babel Conference. It is a closed group. So when you ask to join, you'll be asked some questions and you need to agree to the rules of the forum. So please answer all the questions and agree to the rules so that I can let you in. Otherwise, I cannot because we do keep it closed only for listeners. So please do that. You can also send us email if you'd like to do that. You can go to our website at trek.fm slash contact, use the form, choose to send a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to Matthew and me by email. You can also find us on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. That's our username throughout social media, including on Instagram, where we do have an account. And you can always drop us a line there. All right, Matthew. So when you're not, you know, hanging out with boomers, doing all kinds of fun boomer stuff, where can people find you? So much fun boomer I'm stuff. I'm just picturing Chris, like what kind of boomer stuff you would be doing. Like yeah, your quarters on the super, fortunate would be like the whole wall would yeah. be like vintage classic. They would call it by then uh, Batman, Superman, Star Wars, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. all the all the collectibles from the 20th century. Yes, have. yes. Well, and in massive books like Chicago mobs of the 20s, yeah, right. you know, uh, lining my walls, you know, the, the vintage collectibles. Yeah, we didn't yeah. mention that. There were some nice, cute little uh, TOS nods in this episode. Yeah. So, uh, well, you could find me, of course, here on the network on our whole other side of the network talking about all things not Star Trek related in the 602 Club. Uh, of course, you can also find the bonus shows there as well of Snyder Cuts as well as assembling avengers uh it's a great place we've got so many fandoms that we love so 602 club is a great place for you to check out uh you could also find me doing literary tracks uh and chris you and i talk about uh, star trek deep space nine on the orb and of course literary tracks about the books and the comics of star trek which it's been a big year as um we're wrapping up the quote-unquote lit verse with the coda series um and so look for that uh, new interview coming out soon with uh, james swallow about his uh middle book of the trilogy uh, you can also find me over on the nerd party network i've got a finished show there all about harry potter drea kaufman and i talked about the entire series one chapter at a time on owl post and then john mills and i talk about star wars each and every week uh, and that show is called Aggressive Negotiations. Well, uh, Chris, when you're not uh, trying to find the ball that you somehow missed in the air, uh, where can we find you? 
I just checked, Matthew, and actually I didn't miss it. It's still up there. <laughs> oh, okay. It's just, it's still making its way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to catch it eventually when it gets over here to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I'm not uh, doing that, waiting for the ball, you can uh, find me here on the network. You mentioned Literary Treks and The Orb, also Interface, which is a Star Trek Universe podcast, and The Ready Room, which Larry Nemechek and I do together. And by the time this episode of Warp 5 drops, I think The Ready Room that Larry and I recorded where we look back at the first two seasons of Lower Decks should be out. So, Check that out if you're a Lower Decks fan. And otherwise, if you'd like to chat with me about Star Trek or whatever, you can find me in social media. My username is C. Brian Jones. That's letter C and Brian with a Y. That's my name everywhere, but Twitter is where I'm most active, and I'd love to chat with you on Twitter. So look for me there. If you'd like to help us keep Warp 5 and all the shows on the network going, we could definitely use your support through Patreon. Please visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to find out how. It takes a great deal of money to run this network, and it's been a very difficult couple of years. So we could certainly use your help in keeping everything going and also allowing us to grow the plans that we're working on to renew the network. So thank you. To everyone who supports us right now, we really could not do this without you. We really thank you so much for your support. Well, Matthew, we had fun today talking about the past of humanity in space and where we're headed. And next week, looking forward to taking a glimpse of the future with you as we talk about Cold Front. Well, it is blowing in, Chris. And I say, let's go. Let's go.